Hey, everybody. Good to see you. All right, we continue with our series this morning um, that is called Unleashed, and it's really about how does God change people? And in particular, I suppose it's about how does God change Christians? If you are someone who says, I believe, then God says, I'm going to turn you into something new which I think is a good thing. Because I think change is an issue for everyone when it comes to faith and religion and change. It's an issue for the believer and the non-believer because it's possible that the believer walks through the steps of faith. They do everything they're supposed to do and they get to a certain point in their life and they go, I don't really look that much different. Like I did all the stuff and I can remember my baptism and I, right? And then, but my life doesn't really look. I wonder if I've really believed. I know that doubt exists in Christians. I know it does. And the non-Christian goes, yeah, you don't look anything different than me. So why would I ever want to have anything to do with this? Which is the complete wrong place to look. So if you are not a believer, don't watch Christians. Your attention is on the wrong person, but nevertheless, so it's an issue. But God said he's going to do it. He, I will change you, and we're, look like, or we're looking at how. That's our series. So last week, I think, was probably the biggest piece of how God will change us, and that is the sending of the Holy Spirit. The promise of God to the believer is you get God. So whatever you think about when you think about him, his personality, his character, the person of God, the things that are vague about him, the things you know for sure about him, the things you think you read about him, the things that scare you about him, the things you don't like about him, the things you do like about him, all that stuff, you get him. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And just like a friend will influence you, your friends, those people that surround you, they have personalities, they have preferences, they have a way in which they are. And that way in which they are will impact you. It will change the way you are. And it's no different, except his influence will be perfect. So in the situations of life as they unfold, you know that you're not alone and his influence or his preferences will always be for whatever's perfect. So you'll face something and it's whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is best, whatever is excellent, whatever is right. And you're going to feel it. Here's where you'll feel God's preference against yours, his spirit and yours. When you don't prefer what he prefers, when you don't prefer what is perfect, I told you last week, I had decided, my preference was, I'm not going to help this person. I'm not going to do it because I don't like to do it. And he disagreed and I felt it. It'll kick up. There will be unrest. There will be inner conversation. Not long ones, but you'll know. Because you're not alone. We're not alone. And thank God we're not alone. Thank God that he decided that we get God in us to fight for God coming out of us. Because if we don't have that, we don't have anything. 
So that's number one. That's, that is, in my opinion, the biggest way in which he will change us. To him, today, we add another one, and that is the Word of God. So God says, I'm going to change you by my Spirit. I'm going to change you by my Word. And the Word itself says, I will be, if I can use I, it will be an agent for change. So here are some verses where the Word talks about itself. So first one I'm going to use is John chapter 17. Uh, John chapter 17 is a famous prayer by Jesus and in that prayer, he prays for believers. And do you know what he prays for, for believers? We'll pick it up in verse 9. It says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So make sure you understand here. In this prayer, he prays for believers, and he prays for those people who will believe that he knows like, God knows who's going to believe. He prays for those who do and those who will. The prayer is not for those who don't, just so you know. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but I do ask you to keep them from the evil one. So number, he's asking for protection and then he says this in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is the truth. So sanctify is just the word that the Bible uses for what we're talking about, and that is progressively becoming more and more like Christ. What's going to do that? What's going to progressively move us? The word. Another classic, I suppose, and that is 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. There's a, another verse that says, the prophets of old didn't write their own thoughts. They only wrote as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. So this whole thing is him coming out and says, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Who would we say is complete and equipped for every good work? I would say that would be Christ, and we're trying to be like him, or God said he's going to turn us into something that looks like him, and the word is profitable for that. Psalm 119. There are 150 psalms. 119 is by far the longest. And the entire thing is all about how unbelievably good the word is to read. If you just read Psalm 119, you'll want to read your Bible. The writer is so excited about how good the word is to have, it just spills out. So these are some of the things that he says. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's not just rules, it's God's ways. So it helps us to know what way should I go. And it also helps us to keep, it helps us from stumbling over things we shouldn't stumble over. It's a light. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If you just would highlight word every place you saw it through 119, your page would be covered. There's one on there. I didn't put it up here. It says, 
Your testimonies are my counselors. I delight in your testimonies. Your testimonies, your word, they are my counselors. And the last one here was my favorite, and this is sort of where we'll spend our time. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's going to be our single takeaway for today. Store up his word in your heart. I don't care where you are on all this faith thing, this God thing, this Jesus thing. I mean, if you're here, you're at least curious, or someone drug you here, or maybe you've been following for a long time. I don't know. But this is, no matter where you are in all of this, this is the single takeaway that we leave with today. Just store it up. Because if you begin to store it up, good things are going to happen. How many of you know that you're supposed to love God and you're supposed to feel a certain way about God and there are people in your life who do love him and they do feel a certain way about him because you hear them talk about God in a way that, well, they must have a closer relationship with him than I do, but you really don't. You know you're supposed to, but you don't, and you're not proud of it like you want to, but, and you do believe in him, but there's just not a connection. Like a guy like me, or some person in your office, or your dad, or your grandma, or whoever, like the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord, and you're like, I know, I mean, whatever. But it's, it's not there. Let me trace it for you. Do you know that God is not asking you to love him and to trust him and to be all this stuff? I could use a, a hundred biblical words about all that, we, that God wants. He's, he's not asking you to do that blindly. Trust me blindly. Love me blindly. And that doesn't sound right when you hear it the first time, but what I mean is he's not asking you to do that without any knowledge of him. You may be familiar with this verse. You will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That seems far away to you. He said that to a particular group of people. Now, it was the Israelites. It was a group of people that he picked. Do you know that's not the first thing he said to them? He didn't just roll up and say, you will love me. When he says that, to, do you know what's happened to them before he actually says that? He has delivered them from an oppressor. He has broke them out of slavery. He parted the sea. He led them through the desert in a cloud. They could actually see his presence. He fed them from heaven. He watered them from a rock. He wrote on a rock with his finger his laws for them. And those laws were ultimately for whose good? Their good. He spoke face to face with their leader and their leader turned around and told them about him. Then, after all that, then he says, tell them this, trust me, love me. But they knew it. They had knowledge. If you feel the disconnect, there is a way in which you can come to know him. Listen, I'm one of those people that would say, I love God. I do. 
I can sit here and tell you that I believe if it all fell apart tomorrow, I wouldn't leave them. He's just been so good. I, and way better than I deserve. But my, my heart is endeared to God. And part of the way in which that has happened is I've come to know him. I read and I see how he is with other people. And how he is with other people, it's, it's unbelievable. Like he shouldn't mess with any of us. But he does, and I see him messing around with people like Samson and Moses and David. And listen, they're not heroes. They're not. But I see that, and then I can experience some of it, and then it, it just causes me to love him. The more I know him, causes me to love him. Do you know there's a prophet in the Old Testament, and God tells his prophet, Marry a prostitute. It's like, what? Why? So you know what it's like to be me. I pick you. Great. And then you run around and you're completely unfaithful all of your days. Do you ever come back? Yes. Do you say you're sorry? Yes. And then what do you do? Then you leave again. That's what it's like to be him. With us. He's, God is unbelievably good to us. And I've just come to know him like that. So that opens the door to loving him. And when you love him, then you want to do what he says. Everybody leads in with, I must do what he says. No. You know him. You figure out he loves you, then you love him back. Then you want to, like the the fruit, the good stuff, the obedience, it'll come. But it's, it's not first. You don't lead with it. You don't try to clean yourself up. And then he's like, ah, oh, finally, I can. It's not that way. It looks like this. Knowing opens the door to loving him. Loving him opens the door to wanting to do what he says. And if you want to do what he says, that sort of makes you like Jesus. I'm not saying you work it out perfectly, but let's just get to that point where you actually want to do what he says. And the end part is where we're trying to get to anyway, right? That's, the, that's what we're trying to get to. That's, what he's, that's where he says he's going to take us. But it starts with knowing him. And the primary way in which we can do that is his word. Who have you come to admire because you read about them? I like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You ever heard of him? German pastor, spy, knew a little something about that briefcase that was going to take out Hitler. I've not met Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but I really like him because I read his book. Who have you come to admire? My wife likes the Queen of England a lot. Not the current, the second wife of Henry VIII. She never met her, but she's read extensively about her. She can tell you all kinds of stuff about her. Read his book. 
If you read his book, you will come to admire him. Listen, you don't have to worry about loving him with all your heart and trusting him. That will come. Just start by storing it up. Will you store it up? Now, how you do that, doesn't matter to me how you do it. Um, this is one way. This is read the Bible in a year. And listen, the goal is not to read the whole Bible. I mean, the point is like every day you would go to it. This came from our house. This is new living. It's not something I read a lot. It's okay. It's just what was there. Every day you'll have an Old Testament story, a New Testament story, a proverb, and a psalm. And I promise you go through of it, you go through it, and you can read three days and nothing will hit you. Then all of a sudden something will. Whoever's responsible for bringing these sorts of materials into your home, that's just bring one of this into your home and put it in the bathroom. And then everyone in the house that goes into that room, just read it. Just put down your phone for a minute and just read it. Just go to the day. It's easy. Today is the 7th of May. Then you just flip it open and you start to read. And you don't have to worry about like being inspired every single moment. I'm just telling you, you store it up. Good thing. If you take the time to store it up, you're going to open yourself up to God a little bit and you're going to give the Spirit of God, because you don't read it alone, you're going to give the Spirit of God a place to, of God, a place to go to work. And the Spirit of God says he'll do two things with this and you. Do you know what those two things are? John 14. I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things. So he's going to teach you whatever God wants you to know from here, and he's going to call it to your remembrance when you need it. And I'm here to tell you that both of those are true. That the Spirit of God will teach you what God wants you to know from here. This is revelation, and he will call it to your memory when you need it. But you have to store it up. So the rest of the way through here, would just be some of my thoughts about how you might begin to store it up. And I'll start with how I do it at my house. So I'm going to preach what I practice. That's a little different. This is what I do with my kids. Read the classics. So I would start I don't know if you're a reader. I don't know if you read or not. I don't know how you store it up. But start with the classics. The classics being David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, Daniel and the lion's den. Right? We're aware of these things. Start with the classics. But as you do, you're going to read it through, and you're going to ask this question. Because the stories are good in and of themselves. They are good. And they're engaging. I, listen, I promise you, I sat down. I did it this week. And I, so I just like, if you were to pick this up and you were to start reading from May 1 to May 7th, what would you run into? And the first story, the first Old Testament story you get, the classics, is Samson. And by the time you're done with that first week, you're going to want to read the next day because you can't believe what you're reading. They're really good stories. They're engaging. But you're asking this question. So they're good in and of themselves, but you're asking this question, what does this story tell me about God? So we started with Jonah. Now, in my kids, right now, we are 50-50. 
So I've got four, two are doing it, two aren't. They've all been asked to do it. Two are doing it, two are not. I'd say we got a 50-50 shot in here. Probably. I don't know. Maybe not. So they read it through, and then when they're done, they come to me and we talk about it. So let's have them tell me what the story was. And it's easy to read. Jonah is four chapters. They go pretty quick. Here's the story in general. Jonah is a preacher. He's a priest. He's a man of God. And God says, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He says, go to Nineveh. Now, he hates them. I don't know why he hates them, but he doesn't like them. They are sinners. They have awful gods. They have awful practices. I don't know why Jonah hated Nineveh and the Ninevites so much. He did. But I know this. He, he said, I'm going, God said, I'm going to judge their sin, but I want you to go and tell them to repent, essentially. But Jonah was completely happy with them being destroyed by God. He was completely happy with them going to hell. Not a problem. So he doesn't prefer what God prefers, so he runs. He runs, you know, the story gets on a boat. God stops the boat in a storm. Everyone panics. He's sleeping at the bottom. They get up and they wonder amongst themselves, whose fault is this? So they cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah. Do you know there's a proverb that says God controls the roll of the die? He is not absent from the tiny little details of our life. The lot falls to Jonah. He's like, yeah, hey, I'm running. Throw me in. They throw him in. God appoints a fish to swallow him, swim him the other direction because Nineveh was here and he was going here. So he had to get him from there to here. So he swims him back, spits him out on land, and then asks him again. Watch, I like that. After all that, he asked him twice, hey, will you go to Nineveh? <laughs> sure, I, sure. <laughs> so he goes, it's a pretty simple message, turn or burn. He walks through, he, he speaks it out for 40 days. In 40 days, if you don't turn from who you are, God is gonna wipe you out, and they turn, they repent. Some heathen kings sits in sackcloth and ashes. He's really sorry. The whole town is sorry, the city, and they repent. So, job done. And so Jonah should be happy, right? This is chapter four. This is after all that has happened. Look what he says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to Tarshish. For I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please kill me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Listen, God will use anyone. Look at this guy. He's sitting on a hill overlooking this city in revival, and the sun is hot, he falls asleep, and God appoints a plant to grow and give him shade. How does God respond to that attitude? He causes a plant to grow and give him shade. He wakes up and realizes, oh, thanks for the plant, that was nice. Goes home, and then God appoints a worm to eat the plant, and I'm not sure why it ends that way, but it does. 
pretty good story. But what does it tell us about God? That's the conversation we have. Because you get to know him, that opens the door to loving him and takes us down the path. So just a few. I don't have these exact order. You can write down whatever you want. You can write down nothing. But let me just go through some of what we can know. You can know that God hates sin. Is God okay with Nineveh just doing whatever they want? No. Will God judge sin? Yes. But he won't do it without making a way out. Does he give them a way out? In this particular case, what is their way out? Who does he send? He sends Jonah. And don't miss the symbolism there. Jonah was dead three days, came back and brought hope, brought salvation. Somebody else was dead three days, came back and brought salvation. So there are pictures that you, that force, I mean, they, they're getting us to think about something to come. So we know that he makes a way. God probably loves someone you hate. I mean, he hates Nineveh, but that's his character. I don't know who you hate, but it would be good to keep in mind that God probably loves them. Um, God is not absent from the details of your life. If he controls the roll of the die, then all the coincidence that happens in your life may not be coincidence. Maybe God is involved in the tiniest details of your life. Probably is. God is, well, you can just take this one right off the page. God is slow to anger, gracious, abounding in love. Giving these people a shot, a chance to repent instead of just wiping them out. And the last one, I think, is probably the biggest one for me. He will use anybody. As I read the word, I see God interacting with these people. And you can go down the line. You can go, Abraham, Father Abraham, read that story. He's a mess. Moses, a bigger mess. David, mm, had started out good. And then, I mean, Samson is a train wreck. Peter, Paul, I think Paul. But here's what I do. I see that, and I can measure it. God knew every one of their flaws all the way down the line. He knew it all. So God is outside of time. So he's as, as, as present in their debacle as he is when he called them. And he knows it all, and yet he still chose to call them. And I can measure that to myself and say, 10 years into this, the mistakes that I make, and God, if God knew all of that, and yet he still decided that I was going to serve him in this capacity, that undoes me some days. That he would know it all and still call. Paul said it like this. I, I like the way he said this is 1 Timothy. Paul, greatest missionary ever, but didn't start out that way. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. That's the point right there. All these guys, God decided you will be faithful. You will be my servant. Not, hey, he's got some attributes of faithfulness. I think I might use him. God decided that he would be, and so he did. He didn't see it in them. He made them. He came, he did it. He did it in them. 
God decided. He counted me. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Ready? This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst or the foremost. And he did it. He picked him for a reason. Watch this. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost or the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. I don't care how bad you are. There is a perfect patience that God has. And if he wants you, he'll have you. If he will use the worst, he'll use you. And that's how good he is. So that's just Jonah. And then we go on to Daniel in the lion's den or whatever, whatever, whatever. And what you do is you just store that up. You store it up. Who is God? I don't know what all you're going to remember from that, but it's not just the story. It's what does it tell you about him? And you start to hold knowledge about him. And if that's really who God is, then, then I'm open to that. I'm open to him. I'm open to him to be whatever he wants to be for me. Um, a lesser story, all right? So this one I found. So it's not just the classics, but the same is true wherever you might go. I, I found this one. I've been a Christian for over 20 years. I never knew the story was in here. And so I'm doing, this is, this is a story from May 7th. So this is today. I did read ahead a little bit. Because if I didn't read ahead, then I wouldn't know what today's story was. And I'm just a superstar like that. I was reading ahead. <laughs> so here's the story. And I didn't know it was in there. It's the birth of Samuel. So I didn't know it was in there. I heard of Samuel before, but I didn't know how he was born and how that whole thing. So you're going to find it. And here's the thing you'll find. You'll read it and some of it will make no sense. So for, this is how the story of Samuel starts. Don't quit. All right. So look at all the words. Ramathaim, Zophim, what? Ephraim, Jotham, Elehu, Tohu. Forget it. Don't worry about it. Here's the only thing I want you to look at. Here's how the story starts. So if it starts out rough, stick with it. And you're going to find a spot where you can jump in. Here's where you should jump in. Penina had children and Hannah didn't. That's all you need to know. It's a story about Penina and Hannah. Hannah is Samuel's mom. So here's the deal. Penina is awful to Hannah because Penina has all kinds of kids and Hannah doesn't have any. And back then, that was just as a badge of honor. So she had son. Penina had a son and then another son and then another son. And then Hannah had none. And then do you know people who, like they, they have stuff. They just have, they're blessed 
but it has nothing to do with them. They literally just walked into it. I mean, they had nothing to do with them, but then they act like it does. They act like somehow that what they have or who they are was them, and then when you're without, they make you feel miserable. They just ride it over you and ride it into you. And that's what Penina did to Hannah, and she was miserable. She, it was to the point where she despaired because she had no kids. And she just kept popping them out. And then it said she taunted her. So she was crushed. Hannah's husband comes to her and says, you're going to love this. This is an actual piece of scripture. His name is Elkanah. And he says, this is verse 8 in chapter 1. Why are you so downhearted because you have no children? You have me. (laughs) Okay. So, wives. This is an insight into your husband. Because we all believe that. We do. We don't say it but we believe it. (laughs) Scripture is, they are real stories about real people just like you and I. She's crushed and she makes a deal with God. If you just give me one, just one, I will return him back to you. I will devote him. You can have him, but just one. She's praying that. They're at the temple when this all goes down. She's praying that. And the priest sees that her lips are moving. She's praying, begging God, but no words are coming out. He thinks she's drunk. It says, must you come here drunk? And she said, I'm not. I'm literally as low as I can be. I can't even get words out. I'm just saying to God, and the only way I know how, will you just please do this? He hears the story and and he blesses her and said, may the Lord grant your request. He does. The next year, she has Samuel. But here's where the story, listen. Now, she has Samuel, and what did she promise? But what's the crisis? How many have made a deal with God? And then he did it. And you're like, oh. If you just do this thing, then I will And then he does it. And then you don't want to. It's full of stories like you and I. It's like reading about you, even though it starts out with Elkanah and Penina. It doesn't matter. It's us. So she wrestles with it, and her husband comes along and says, I will pray that you can stay faithful to your commitment to him. And he leaves, it, he leaves her go for a while, just lets her hang on to Samuel. And Samuel means God gave him to me. She gets to a point, though, and she takes him back to that priest that made that initial blessing and said, all right, here you go, and turns him over. But you got to read her prayer. Read her prayer when she does it. Here's part of it. This is second, or this is 1 Samuel 2, starts in 1. 
My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Who's she thinking about? In her prayer, who's she thinking about? Hannah. Penina. Hey, it's okay to pray. That's what I like. It's okay to pray this way. Who prays that way? <laughs> it's okay. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done, and he will judge your actions. You didn't do any of that. That wasn't you. That was him. And he knows you just like I know you, so don't pretend. Those who, are, who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving me are now full. And who's responsible for taking you from starving to full? God is. The childless woman is now seven, and the woman with many now wastes away. I think it's helpful to read these stories about Hannah because they help you trust God. If someone, if you're backed into a corner right now, I would read this story because it helps you trust God. It's a story about God does come through. God answers prayer. God sometimes would someone's all over you on it and you're all shoved in, sometimes he turns it around and God does come through and it, it helps you to trust him. It helps you to know him. It reminds me of this verse. This is Romans 15:4. Look what it says. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's why we have it. That's why we have all this stuff, so we can read it and know God, be encouraged, carry on, etc. It's good stuff. So the classics and stories, store up wisdom if you're going to store it up. I mean, some of these help you to do that. They'll have a psalm and a proverb. I prefer proverbs. I do. I don't know. One's more poetry and the other's more principle, and I'm more principle than poetry. If you're a poet, go ahead. I mean, I'm not saying all Psalms are poet, but whatever. I just prefer the one. I get more out of the one. There's more flowery language in the Psalms. It's not wrong. It just doesn't do anything to me, but I like the other ones. But when you read those, I think when you read Proverbs, for me, this is where I feel like the Spirit is the most active when I read. Because they're simple and concise in their statements, and it's either this is you, repent, or this is you, relax, you're good. But you can feel it. it. It will kick up in you the way it goes. So you can read chapter 10, and chapter 10, will you roll down through there, and so verse 9 will say, I mean, this could be in a single reading. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. And if you are cheating... You will be found out. It's like God saying, you've got this thing covered up. I know it and you know it. And I'm telling you right now, it will be found out. And that can strike panic in you. Hey, if you're cheating right now, you will be found out. And it does, it produces panic. Like you want to shove it down just a little bit lower. That's God. That's God reproving and correcting with his word and his spirit. 
But then you can also read, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. I can read that and go, it's good, I'm busy, I'm diligent, I work. Someone taught me how to work, and I love to work, and I stay busy, and I do. And I read that and say, like, that is in line with God's wisdom, and I, have, I can read that and have peace. I, I can maybe read the top one and go, I don't have, I'm not peaceful about that. I can read the next one, and, and I am. This is who you are. Repent. This is who you are. Relax. Because you don't read it by yourself. I, I did as I went through here. There was a psalm. Uh, this was Psalm 103. And this was like on May 2nd. And I read all of May 2nd and nothing really jumped out at me. But this part did as I went through. So know that. You can read chunks of this and nothing will hit. And then all of a sudden this one little line. And I would even say once it hits you, you can just stop. Because that's maybe enough for today. I mean, how much do we need, right? One's probably enough. And this said, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, and I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And I read that and realized that that is not me, that I easily forget all the good that he does for me. I easily forget that. I am a person who can grab a hold of all the stuff that's not going right and spend my whole day camped on what is not going right and completely overlook everything that is. And it's just this nice reminder from who? From God. Hey, don't forget all the good stuff. That's what you get. That's who's there. That's what we're storing up. And the last thing I would say is store up Jesus. Store up the accounts of Christ with this understanding. So that's New Testament, obviously, and those are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I would probably start with Luke because Luke was written by a doctor. It's the most thorough, and it was written to a guy who had a hard time believing Jesus. He had a hard time believing that the whole thing was true. So it's really well written with lots of detail to a guy like you and I that questions. It's a great place to start. You read it with this understanding that everything you read about Christ, he is the exact representation of God. So if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says. I'm the, so when you're reading it, that's how God is. So when you read how God interacts with people, that's how God would interact with people. And you'll see God interact with people who are super religious. It never goes well. And then you'll see God interact with those who are not or those who are crushed down or humbled in some way or weak or broken or pathetic or whatever it is, and you'll see him embrace them. Just read it with that. And read it with this understanding, too, I would say, that his death at the end is what brings you to God. There's one of the stories about these eyewitness accounts of Jesus, and it says that when he died on the cross, there was a curtain that separated this, these, these two spots in the temple in the temple, one spot was where God would come and rest, and then the other spot would be for the people on the other side, and there was a curtain in between, and when he died, that curtain was ripped. That's a really good explanation of what his death meant. You don't have to be apart anymore. And the thing that separated us was sin. Stored up. You don't have to be worried about being super in love and trusting Jesus but I'm telling you, you store it up and something good's going to happen. Store it up. The promise is when you do, he'll call it to your remembrance. So I walk around and I've got this stuff up here 
and I would say in here, and God calls it to my remembrance. I mean, just stuff. I carry, there's that story with Moses, and he calls Moses. Moses had committed murder, went to the backside of the desert, and he lit up a bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. And I've read that story and read that story. You know what that means? Moses, Moses, that's an expression of affirmation. Moses, Moses, I love you, man. Take off your shoes, I'm holy. I love you, but you won't change me. I will change you. That's who God is. There's this thing stuck in my head about a spider web. If you read the book of Job, it says, this is the way of the godless. All who forget God, their trust is like something in a spider web. So their trust will betray them because whatever they're trusting in. So the godless, I don't need God and I'm smarter than that and you guys are pathetic and you just need a crutch. And so the crutch that you need to go through life is this faith in Jesus, whatever. I'm trusting in knowledge or I'm touched, whatever you're trusting. It says, whatever you're trusting in other than God will be like a spider web. I think that's why it sticks in my brain. Because you, a spider web looks like it's there, looks like it holds stuff, and the minute you try to get it to hold something, it's gone. And you're trusting in something that looks like it's there, and it's not, and it's going to go really bad for you. Just have it in my brain. Be like Josiah. There's this king who is eight years old. He, got, he took over as the king of God's people when he was eight years old. And he found the book of the law in the temple. It was like buried under all this stuff. And he opened it and he realized, we don't do any of this stuff. And so he completely remade the kingdom and he tore down all the other idols and he tore down all this stuff. And from eight to 38, he reigned. And it says this, never before or since was there a king like Josiah. And there's that, always that phrase that says, what sort of king will you be? What sort of person will you be? Will you be someone who followed after God all of your days, or will you just blend in with everything else? Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's just in my brain, because I've stored it up in there. To be apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord, if you've lost someone that you love and they were someone who has trusted in God, they're better. It's better. It's just better. And it will work itself out. You are not your own. You have been purchased with a price. I have that in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 you don't get to do whatever you want to go do because you're not your own. I bought you. And the price I paid was my son. He'll just call it to your remembrance. So, store it up. He's going to change us by his spirit and he's going to change us by his word our part in that is to store it up in our heart. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. And may we be inspired today to store it up. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said.